Yeah, thank you, Pastor Dave, for reading the word of the Lord to us this morning. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to the official beginning of our Believe Transformational Journey together. Last week was an introduction, and uh, as of uh, now, we have a couple hundred Believe books that have been either given out or they're available to be given out. If there's one free per family, if you're um, looking to get one, and if you are at home and you can't get, come out to get one, phone us or contact us, and we'll deliver one for you. Um, also, we've had well over 100 people uh, do the online Believe assessment, and you can find that at our website. You just go there, and it's, a, it's got a number of questions, and you can just read those, uh, do that personal assessment, and it'll point out where you're strong uh, in areas of belief and practice and virtues and where you can grow in those same type of areas. And over 100 people have already done that, so that's exciting. We've got loads of people planning to hear the Believe messages each week, and then we've got loads of people planning to discuss it in life groups or in cohort groups, family bubbles, or just with their family, or maybe just their spouse or another friend. There's lots of people that have made a game plan so that they can read the Scriptures themselves, they can hear the messages, and then they can discuss them together. And really, it's all on a path towards growing. So we're really excited. So we've got lots of people here in live here in, this morning. And then there's lots of people who are joining us online. Can we have a big round of applause for everyone who's joining us online from, the, from those who are here? All right. We're excited that you're with us. That's great. Okay, let's go. We want to start with our Believe survey. So that means uh, if you've got a smartphone, you can pop it out, and you can go to kahoot.it. We'll get it up there yet here. Kahoot.it. We will get it up, I say in faith. We will get it up. Kahoot.it and... Well, I can fill this time with something else. So we'll, we'll hang on to that. Oh, there it is. Good. Kahoot.it, and you just put in the game pin. That's all you have to put in there. They don't need any information from you. 804-814 is the game pin, and it's not a game. It's a survey this morning, but we're going to ask questions to find out what we believe. So, look, Prairie Possum is the first one in. Okay, good job, Prairie Possum. Mighty Gazelle, number two. So you can sign in, and uh, once we get to a certain number of sign-ins, then we'll start the survey so we can find out what the people in attendance here and also the people who are joining us online, what we believe collectively. So there we go. Now it's just pouring in 27, 28. Really great response. This is awesome. I'm excited. Now just to tell you that as you're still signing in, the questions that we're going to be asking in this morning, the four questions we're going to be asking, they're taken from the kind of questions you would have been asked if you did the online assessment. So it's, it might seem familiar to some of you, some of the questions that we're going to ask, but just the four questions this morning we're going to do a survey with. And here's the other thing. If you're still trying to get in, is anyone still trying to get in? Okay, if you're still trying to get in, you can still get in even once we start the survey. So don't worry about that. Still keep trying to get in. You'll probably make it in as well. Okay, so I'm going to get our tech team there. Let's start the survey. We've got 53 active participants, and there'll be more joining us probably as we do the questions together. So first question, I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God. And there's a triangle, a red triangle, for I don't believe this. There's a 
a diamond, a blue diamond. I'm not sure I believe this. There's a yellow circle. I believe, but occasionally I experience doubt. And the green square is, I believe this 100%. So this is the answers, and just be honest, that's what we're looking for. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God. So we've already got 57 answers. You guys are quick. It's amazing. Sixty-one answers. Wow, our particip- you know this is a, this is more participants than we had in the in the nine o'clock service. This is really, really great. Well, the countdown's going: eleven, ten, nine, eight, and we're going to get our answer here right away. And here it is. All right. So eighty-nine percent is the biggest response. That's people who say, "I believe this hundred percent." I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God. 10% say, I believe, but occasionally I experience doubt. And then there's 2% say, I don't believe this. And those are our three responses. Nobody in the I'm not sure I believe this category. Uh, that's different than the morning, but that's, that's great. Good to get your response. Let's go to the next question. I believe the God of the Bible is one in essence, but distinct in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe the God of the Bible is one in essence, but distinct in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So again, the red triangle is I don't believe this. The blue diamond, I struggle to believe this. The yellow circle, I believe it sometimes experienced doubt. And then the green square, I believe this 100%. So that's, those are our answers this morning. Already 61 answers, this is great. Now, if you ever wonder, why am I telling you what the colors are and why am I telling you what the shapes are? Well, I think on your phone, uh, if, you had, if you were colorblind, you wouldn't know how to play the game unless you knew which shapes corresponded. So I think that that's how it works out. So I'm telling you the colors and shapes for that purpose. Okay, here we go. Here's the response. 88% say, I believe this. And then we've got 9% who say, I believe, but sometimes experience doubt. And then there is uh, 3% who say, I struggle to believe this. Thank you for your excellent and honest answers. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, here's the next one. I believe Jesus is God in the flesh who died and rose bodily from the dead. I believe Jesus is God in the flesh who died and rose bodily from the dead. And you'll see the answers are the same again. Uh, From red, I don't believe, to green, I do believe, and then blue, I struggle to believe, and yellow, I believe, but sometimes I experience doubt. So, Here we go. All right, just two answers this time. Uh, 97% say they believe this, and uh, 3% say I believe, but sometimes experience doubt. Thanks. That's great. Let's go to our last one. Are we getting a bit of a picture of who's tuning in and who's part of what we're doing here, where people are at? This is really helpful. I believe the Holy Spirit is God and dwells in Christians to empower them to live the Christian life. I believe the Holy Spirit is God and dwells in Christians to empower them to live the Christian life. Again, the red triangle, I don't believe. Blue diamond, I struggle to believe. Yellow circle, I believe, but sometimes experience doubt. And green, 
I believe. I believe this. All right. Again, 92%. That's, uh, that are saying, I believe this. And then 5% saying, sometimes experience doubt. And then uh, we've got 3%, I struggle to believe this. Thank you for playing. Thank you for playing. Now, we want to keep surveying as we go on in this series. We're going to keep doing this because we want to really know in real time where people are at. And, and there'll be different um, experiences that people have as we go forward. Now, one of the things I love about the Believe journey that we're on is it, the possibility for people to reverse engineer their spiritual growth. Do you know what reverse engineering is? It's like you take something that somebody engineered. They made, uh, you know, it could be a car, it could be a TV or something, something, and they made it and you take it apart. And when you take it apart, you go, oh, that's how they made it. And now you know more about how you could make it. In fact, companies, when they're competing with each other, do this all the time. They say, how did Toyota make such a nice car? They take it apart. And they're like, ah, we see. And now we can make a car similar to this, maybe even improve on it, right? So you, you find out how someone else does it. Spiritually, what if you lack something spiritually, but you notice somebody else has it? Let's, I'm going to use the example of peace, okay? I'm going to use the example of peace. Can we get that slide up there? That uh, Yes, thank you. Okay, if you get the, there's a spiritual growth plan um, paper that's out there as well this morning. If you grab one of this, you'll find this in there. It's a chart. Basically, it shows the 10 core beliefs of Christianity that we're going to walk through. And then it shows how they work out into practices. And there's 10 of those too, but some of them have multiple locations uh, of where they show up. And then it's got 10 virtues, but you'll see that they show up in even more locations. So this is the way we reverse engineer our spiritual growth. You get really clear about where you need to grow. You do the self-assessment. Maybe you take the second step I did, and this is in the spiritual growth plan. I asked my wife, I asked a coworker, and my teenage son to evaluate me and assess me in the areas that are at this far column. So do, is there much humility? Is there much, you know, all those different fruit of the spirit things, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, self-control. They're, they're ask, they were to ask, where is Steve strong and where could he really grow? Now I've got that response. The clearer it is for me, now I can go, well, let's just say peace was my shortest one. I'm going to use that as an illustration. Then I could see, well, where does peace show up? Well, peace shows up on these top three areas here. Peace, peace, peace. You see it there. It doesn't show up anywhere else. So that means that things that undergird peace is really under knowing the beliefs about God, knowing beliefs about personal God and salvation. Those are really important to have peace in your life. And then there's some practices that come out of that too, out of those things. Worship, prayer, sharing my faith, those are things that all will affect my peace. So if I want to grow in peace... I want to know, when, I get, when we get to those chapters that are about, that correlate to peace, I want to really pay attention. I'm going to read every chapter in the Believe book because it's all going to be good for me, but some chapters I'm going to go, this is awesome. This is what I already believe. I mean, this is the operating system of my, of my life. And God did that. And so those weeks, when we get to those, or for you and for me, we're just going to go, this is a delight. This is awesome. I'm expressing my gratitude towards God because I can see that he's been working in my life. Awesome. But there's going to be other weeks that are a challenge, and I really hope that you really embrace this. I want everyone who is going through this belief journey to be trusting God to work out in their lives to make them more like Jesus in at least one specific area. 
in at least one specific area, that you're believing God, God, I'm believing you to take this area where I struggle, which is difficult, where I don't see the fruit of the Spirit showing up very much, and I'm believing you for a change in that area. That means when I go to those chapters in the book that are my area of greatest growth, I'm going to read that again and again and again. I want to get really familiar with the Scripture, because it's mainly Scripture, the Scripture that's there, and I want to draw out of that wealth of Scripture stuff that I'm going to say to myself. I'm going to memorize some lines and verses out of those things. I'm going to say it to myself again and again, the truths that are there. I'm going to look at what is the practice that goes with that. I'm going to not just hear the Word, but I'm going to act it out or do the response that's that matches with that because I want to grow. And I hope that you want to grow too. I believe that you do. So some weeks will delight you, some will challenge you, and some will just straight up surprise you. You're going to come to some weeks and go, I believe this. And then the teaching that you receive or the scriptures that you read out, they're going to jump out at you in a new way and you realize that they could go deeper in you than they have before. Even though you believe them, there's more benefit yet to be gleaned and there's more to be gained and God will surprise you with that uh, surprise from him. So whether you have gratitude because it, you already believe it, growth because you know there's a long ways to go or there's a great big surprise from God in an unexpected week, we've got an incredible journey ahead of us. Now, there once was a little girl drawing a picture and her mom came along and said, Honey, what are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing God. And she said, Well, dear, you know that nobody really knows what God looks like, don't you? And she said, Well, when I'm done, they will. <laughs> you know, A.W. Tozer said, What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's quite a statement. But you know what? The word God really is speaking about what's ultimate in our lives. It's really speaking about what is ultimate. What we believe about God or what we believe is ultimate, that's another way of saying it, will affect all that we are and all that we do. It's not a small thing because it's what is ultimate. And lots of people have different ideas about what's ultimate. But whatever you believe is ultimate, it'll show up in your actions, it'll show up in your life, and you won't be, you won't be able to I'll prevent that from happening. The Bible itself doesn't concern itself very much with the question, is there a God? Because it's assumed. When you read the Bible, you'll see that. But it does have a lot to say about who is God. And that's what we want to talk about today. That's what our first week in this journey is about. So I'm going to ask you, we're going to pull up a slide here. It's the belief statement that's in the first chapter of the belief book. And uh, I think it's a great statement. And I, even if you don't believe it, would you read it with me? We're just going to read it together. So let's just read it. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's, can we read it one more time just so we get it? I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you. So this is where we begin so let's talk about it. In the first sentence of the Bible, as was read this morning by Pastor Dave, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. So the first thing we learn about God in the Bible is that he's the creator. He's, he's the source of everything. And then the second sentence tells us something pretty interesting, or it hints towards something interesting. So I want to read that too. Genesis 1.2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
Now, this is interesting because we said we believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So one, two, three, right? And you so, so some people have taken this and gone, hey, well, here's the Spirit of God, and here's God. Is that the Father? Somebody's missing. Who's missing? Well, Jesus. Where's Jesus? Well, where was Jesus at creation? Well, John chapter 1 gives us a great uh, insight into that. And so John 1.1 sounds just like Genesis 1.1. It starts the same way. In the beginning was the Word. Not, it said, normally said was God in Genesis 1.1. It was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So this is sort of a mysterious thing. Who is this one that John is calling the Word? Well, a few paragraphs later, he just lets the cat out of the bag in John 1.14. He said, The Word, this one called the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, that's the big hint there, right? So, if you know the Christmas story, you know that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's Jesus, right? Jesus, uh, who lives a sinless life, who dies a, a sacrificial death on the cross, and then is raised again. So, where was Jesus at creation? He was there. That's what we learn in John chapter 1. So, you have, you have uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit at creation. And then Genesis 1.26 goes a step further. Now, after everything's been made, except for people... It tells us about the deliberation to choose to make people. This is what it says. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us, hear that, plural, make man in our, plural, image, in our likeness, that's plural, etc. And then it goes on to say what they're going to do. So, this is an interesting conversation because it sounds like it is a conversation. You say God was there at the beginning saying us and our and our, and who was, who was God speaking to? So some people might say, well, he could have been speaking to the angels. But then the next verse sort of tells us that it couldn't possibly be the angels because Genesis 1.27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So I'm just giving you some pictures of the three-in-oneness of God. Theologians call this the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's Three persons, sort of, of God, but they're in one essence. And I always get nervous when I'm explaining the Trinity because there's lots of ways to sort of say it in a way that, that people disagree with. But it's, I think it's one of those great... It, it, there's a, a fair degree of mystery about the Trinity and a lot of things that we don't know, but this is how God has revealed himself. And um, so, if you're in a life group already, you're going to see another great picture of the Trinity in Luke chapter 3, but I won't go there because that's going to be covered in life groups. But here's a question. Why did God create people? I mean, we see that God decided to make people. Why did God make people? Did he need someone to love? Was he lonely? We just needed someone to worship him? Like, what, what was the, you know, was there something in God deficient that he needed mankind? And the answer is no, no, and no. He, God is complete in himself, and he needs nothing. He's, there's already love, community, and relationship in God, even if no other beings exist. I was thinking this week about why did God make people, and I thought it was a lot like the question, why did you have kids? 
Now, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you that question because it sort of sounds like antagonistic. Why did you have kids? I remember I did know this couple once who was so sour on having kids, and I don't know what had happened in their lives, but every time I'd run into them at the coffee shop, it was a much older couple. Mar- Marnie and I were just freshly married and just like didn't have kids yet and so in love, and the world was beautiful in every way. And then we'd run into this couple, and they'd say, Oh, I feel sorry for anyone who brings kids into this terrible world. Well, this has been nice. Can we uh, pick up again some other time? Like, I always felt like, i got to get away, <laughs> right? It's just, why would anyone have kids was sort of the attitude that I got. And you know, I thought, well, why do people have kids? You know what, I think this is, honestly, if you ask people why people have kids, this is probably what they'll say. They say, well, we thought maybe we'd have a bit of love to share, and we probably could help a kid, and we could, uh, you know, give them support, and, you know, give them some guidance, and they probably could have a healthy life. And... Or they might get really honest and say, when I'm old, I want someone to take care of me. You know, I don't know. But we're a mixed bag of motivations. But I don't think God is a mixed bag. I don't think God is. I think God, when he made that decision, let us make man in, in our image, he had some ideas of what, God, what man was going to do, take care of creation, etc. But he didn't need to make man. There's no deficiency in them. There's no look after me in my old age type angle or anything like that. There's no loneliness in God or incompleteness in God. In fact, the thing that I was really thinking about this this week, I thought, why, well, why then do you make God? But I thought, it's sort of like the sun. If you had the sun that we have and the planet we have, and the sun is beaming at the planet, but what if there's no life on our planet? Like no life, no flowers to open up to the sun, no cats to stretch out in the sun, just the sun. Well, the sun doesn't stop being the sun. The sun is not incomplete. There's nothing wrong with the sun. But sort of neat if you had flowers receiving from the sun, cats enjoying the sun. And so what's, what does that do for the sun? Nothing, really. The sun didn't need that. But it'd be sort of neat to have something on the other end. I think that that's, a, you know, and this is my own opinion. Now, this, you take this or leave it. You don't have to acknowledge this or grab onto this at all. But I think God didn't need to make us, but he chose to make us, and as a result, we can bask in his presence and receive all the good things he has stored up for us. In fact, just like a flower is like a sun receptor, I think human beings are God-glory receptors. That God is majestic, that God is powerful, that he is glorious, and there doesn't need to be anyone on the receiving end of that, but God chose that we would be on the receiving end of that. And I think that's an amazing thing to contemplate. So there's already love, community, relationship in God, even if no other beings exist. But he does make man and woman in his image, and he makes them to be one. That's what marriage is is about, right? Marriage is about becoming one, like he is one. So when people see how God is in perfect union and community, it's a picture of how we should be in union and community. Now, unfortunately, sin and selfishness comes into the mix, and it separates us from God, and it separates us from each other. It's a failure to love as God loves. It's a failure to love God with all of our being. It's a failure to love others as ourselves. And, uh, and it's a very serious problem in our world. But you can see God's intention, right? I think that God didn't need us but he chose. So 
One God in three persons created everything. That's what we've said so far. Psalm 19, as Dave was reading, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. So literally, they don't have words. But yet, their voice goes out into all the world, all the earth, their words to the end of the world. That's the, the psalmist David who wrote that. And then, then Paul the Apostle writes this in Romans 1.20. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, remember, you, you can't draw a picture of God because have you ever seen him? Right? God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So why does David and why does Paul say that there's evidence of God in creation? I think it's because they experienced it and so many other people have experienced it. People see sunsets and stars and mountain ranges and the sprouting of seeds and autumn trees in full color like they're getting here in Moose Jaw and uh, the birth of puppies and they think, where did this come from? It's pretty amazing. Where did this come from? I remember my friend Blair was in university. He was lying on his back on the lawn one night looking at the stars. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was not a Christian. I don't know if he would even say he believed in God. But when he looked up to the stars, it hit him, and he said, there has got to be a God. And that was the beginning of his spiritual journey. And he's still walking with God today. So, ancient and, there's always been an ancient and modern temptation when it comes to nature. I would say to people, like, you know, getting in nature is part of strengthening your spiritual life. Like, you get out there, especially when you get out and you see big things, whether it's mountains or valleys or, or even flat Saskatchewan with big sky. It humbles you, right? You realize, oh, well, I'm not as big as I thought I was. You know, maybe you can walk around thinking you're all that when it's a concrete jungle and there's lots of light pollution. But when you get out into nature, you go, oh, I, I, I see uh, that I, you know, there's more, right? And lots of people have said that has pointed them to God so clearly. has pointed them to God. Now, there's an ancient and modern temptation to worship nature. And that's a, it's like going one step too short, right? Nature is not a divinity to worship. It is a creation to care for. That's what the Bible teaches in the very beginning in Genesis. But it's not a divinity to worship. And so, Ancient people fell into that. You know, they worship the sun or animals or other things like that. And modern people do as well. They'll, they'll, they'll treat um, creation like it's divinity. It's not. It's one step short of where we should be worshiping. We should be worshiping the one who made it. We should be worshiping God. And modern science doesn't take away from this. This is the thing. I think some people think, well, ancient people, they didn't know much. They didn't have the scientific knowledge we have. And so that's why they worship God. But now we're so much smarter. And I would say... I think it's actually sort of the, to the contrary in a way. Because what's happening now is science is it's moving at a really fast pace. It's really exciting, actually. I love science. And I love that it keeps showing us more and more of the complexity of life. So if you have a microscope, you can look deeper and deeper into what you would have said the cell before was like a blob of protoplasm. That's maybe some of you might have even grown up and that's what it would have said in your science textbook. Now we realize there's so many intricate processes in the cell. There's so many proteins that are necessary to its function and to its, its processes. And you go, well, this is complex. And you know what we're seeing now? Less than we'll see in the future. I, I, I think 
Every generation is sort of like, oh, wow, look at how much we know. Guess what? How much don't you know? And how much is there yet to be learned? So every time you look in a microscope, more and more greater complexity, more and more there's reasons for nature to be declaring the greatness of God. Also, when you look in a telescope, same thing. You look up, you see the vastness of the universe, but guess what? We're getting better telescopes, we're getting better probes, and we're seeing more and more how huge the universe really is. I think one of the ones that really speaks to me a lot is is just the fine-tuning of the galaxy and of our Earth. I think that is astounding. The universe has the right size, the right density, the right chemical composition, the right balance of forces to make life possible somewhere in it. I mean, if it, it might never have life in it, but it has the kind of composition that it's possible, right? There's ways in which those numbers could be different, and it would be impossible for life to be in our universe. And, but scientists have found, as they've gone on, that, that's, that our universe is, is set that way. Now, Earth is another amazing thing. It's got the right balance of size, too big or too small, life wouldn't exist on it, right balance of mass, its composition is right, its, its spin is right, faster or slower, we'd all be dead. Sister planets are necessary. It's got the right composition of sister planets. We needed those. It's got a friendly sun to make life possible on it. This thing's fine-tuned, really, really fine-tuned. Now, let me give you an analogy. If you had a friend and they won the, like a million-dollar um, lottery, like the big one. I don't even know what the big one is. When I was growing up, it was always a lot of 649, but I don't know if that's the big one anymore. But they win that lottery, the big one. And everybody goes, aren't you lucky? That, you're, my friend is really lucky. Then the next week, they win it again. And you go, that guy is super lucky. I can't believe how lucky he is. How good? Wow, has that ever happened before? And then the third week, they win it again. You're like, wait a second. Is this luck? Let me ask you a question. If they won the lottery, the big one, every week for the rest of their life, week after week, they win the big one. At which week would you personally stop calling them lucky and start saying, somebody's fixing this? This morning I had one boy put up his hand and he said, week three, week three. (laughs) Earth has not just won a lottery We've won all the lotteries. And I think science is not something to be scared of as a Christian. I think it's something to be embraced. What's the, the thing you should be wary about is when people say, well, we see all this stuff, but we can't, we can't accept answers out in this field. We can only have naturalistic answers. We can't go out here. We, 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 and people are really uptight about this, trying to create, well, it seems like everything we know fits this certain theory, but this one that we've been using since the 1930s, which is the Big Bang, sort of implies a big beginning, and it sort of implies somebody, or it being created or caused by someone or something and can we change our theory because we don't really want to reckon with the implications so i don't think science is something to be scared of as a christian i think it study of nature and study of the universe it declares the glory of god and that's what was said in the ancient days of the bible and it's being said today again so when people make the case that god is the one true god they point to nature but they also point to the promises he's kept. 
and they point to the power that he has displayed. That's what Joshua did when, in Joshua 24, 14, and 15. He gives a history lesson to the Israelites. It's, he was their leader, and now he's getting to old age, and he's stepping down, and he, set, he, tell, he recounts their history. You know, God made a promise to Abraham that he'd have a child, even though he and Sarah were barren, and they were in their old age, and it was impossible. And God caused the miracle to happen. And he said this child would cause a great nation to be formed. And that happened. And then that great nation became enslaved in Egypt. And God had promised that he'd give them their own land, a promised land. And that happened. So he's saying, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And then he, re- then he says in verse 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So the history of promises kept and his power on display He said, this is what proves that he's the true God. Not the God of those gods beyond the Euphrates River. Not the gods of the Amorites that we see here. He's the true God. Make a choice, is what he said to the Israelites. It sounds a lot like what Elijah did years later. Elijah had this showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. And in 1 Kings 18, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The people had come to accept, you know, like most people accepted many gods. So Baal was on the rise. That was the one god that they worshipped, Asherah, Molech. There was lots of gods that were being worshipped. And some people would say, well, I'm going to worship the God of Israel, but I'll just worship Baal as well. And this is just not how it works, right? So, so here comes Elijah, and he's saying, don't wa- don't, are you wavering between two opinions? Are you holding on to sort of two worlds here? He says, if, if the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. And then in 1 Kings 18.36, they have the showdown. They make two altars for sacrifice, one for the Lord and one for Baal. And there's 450, I think, or 400 or 450 prophets of Baal that are attending this altar, and it's just Elijah by himself, and all the people are watching. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So follow the one who's God. And they did. So the power unleashed proved it. So God will not... The thing about... Being the one true God. We said that's a statement, that the God of the Bible is the one true God. The thing about that statement is that he will not be one amongst many gods. That's not how it is. If you, okay, do you know the first two of the Ten Commandments? Just think. Think if you can say them to yourself, and then I'll read them to you. Exodus 20, 3 to 5, it says, You shall have no other gods before me, number one. And number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a a jealous God. Now, let me just expound on that. A jealous God. Some people have read that and they thought, God's sort of like insecure and petty and he's nervous and he needs affection. Well, that's what we usually think when we say someone's jealous, right? 
this is not what it means. Okay, I want you to understand. There's two ways to understand jealous. And the one way is that negative way, where like if my wife was talking to another man, I'd be like, hey, what are you doing talking to him? You know, I, I'm, I'm feeling nervous about this. I don't trust you. And I, I, you know, that's one way. This is the way it is with God. God is saying, I'm a jealous God. What it means is, I'm looking for an exclusive relationship with my people. It's, you, you can't have me and some other God. That's not an option. No other gods, because I'm a jealous God. So if I asked my wife to marry me, and I said, hey, Marty, would you marry me? And she said, yes, I'd love to marry you. you I, just, I love you so much, and I've never been willing to do this before, but I, I'm willing to give up all the other guys in my life, except for Rick <laughs> and Glenn <laughs> and Tony. Now, I would not have married her under those conditions. Because my question, will you marry me, I was implying that this would be an exclusive relationship, that she'd, we'd be husband and wife and that's it. No Rick, Glenn, and Tony involved. You say, well, you're really jealous, Steve. No, it's just I'm looking for an exclusive relationship. And so is God. He's looking for an exclusive relationship with you. And so you look through all history, it's been the same question again. Joshua's saying, you, there's all these other idols or gods. They're not really gods, but you can't have them and God. Choose. Elijah's saying, you can't have all these gods that now is their new, you know, our new uh, options for gods and God. You must choose. God is looking to be the one and only true God in your life. He's, he is the one and only true God, but he won't be considered one of, right? Now, we think, oh, those ancient people, boy, were they foolish. When Jesus came along, I think he knew we would say exactly that. And so he taught, he took this principle even further. He said to people, he said, like anticipating what kind of gods we would be tempted to worship right now, he said, you cannot love both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You'll either hate one and love the other or love one. You will use one to get the other, using God to get money, or you will... Use money the other way. You, one will be subservient to the other. They can't be equal. And so he went after the God that would be a problem all through the ages, even today. Money's a big God in our culture. And he went after one of the other big gods, and that's self, right? He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. In other words, abandon yourself as God and embrace the one true God. So it's not just ancient people who dealt with these things and isn't that quaint. It's a real pressing reality in our lives today. He is the one true God, and he is an exclusive um, um, demand, really. It's a legitimate demand as our creator for our allegiance. And he knows those other things, those other masters will only enslave. But Jesus, when he's your Lord, when he's your master, he doesn't enslave. He liberates He's looking to have exclusive rights in your life. And it's a wonderful two-way street. He says, he says to the Israelites, uh, you'll be my, precious, you're my, my treasured possession. And then in the New Testament, you read about how people, when they find God, they realize how much a treasure God is. They give up anything to have him. And so it's this mutual treasuring between God and his people. It's a wonderful, exclusive relationship. 
Paul is the last one I'm going to use today, and he's in, he's in a conversation with people in Athens. So it's now the Greek culture, the Greek gods. And this is what he says to them in Acts 17, 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Right? God has completed himself. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Acts 17, 29 and 31 says, he, this is still Paul talking to them. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, since he's created us, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That means change your thinking, change your beliefs, change your actions that flow out of them. Repentance is really the journey that the believe journey takes us on. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So not only does creation point to God being the one true God, not only does God's promises kept, like Joshua said, not only does his power on display like Elijah, but the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection is proof. And that's what Paul offered to this crowd. He offers it as proof that, that God is the one true God. And it says at the end of his talk in Athens that some sneered. They didn't believe. But some believed. But some believed. So if you ask Paul, is Christianity true? He'd probably say, well, did God use his power to raise Jesus from the dead? To keep his promise to his people that he would provide a way back to God? to show his power on display that he could do these things so that we could come into a right relationship with God? And of course, Paul would be saying, yes, yes, and yes. And so that's why he is the one true God. You know, Paul would write in letters. He'd write letters and he'd tell people about a lot of structural stuff about beliefs, like this belief and that belief and different things. And uh, just good teaching. But you know what I love about his letters, and I've just sort of noticed this more in the last couple of years, he also writes not just what to believe, but he writes what he's praying for people. And so I think for Paul, he's got a couple things. He's saying, well, I want you to have right beliefs, because that's foundational. What you believe will affect everything you do. But he says, it's not just that I want you to believe what I believe. No, so much more than that. I am praying for you so you will experience what I've experienced. If it just stops at the belief level that you give mental assent to, that's not where it's meant to be. It's meant to change your practice. It's meant to develop fruit or virtues in your life. It's meant to transform your whole life. And so this is one of his, his, his wonderful little blessings at the end of 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. It says, he said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, Man, in my relationship with Jesus Christ, I've experienced so much grace for all my failings. And remember, he used to murder Christians, so he had lots that he needed grace for. In my relationship with God the Father, I've experienced so much love. And in my relationship, in my fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I've experienced so much there too. I want you to experience all of those things. I don't, it's not just that I want you to believe like I believe. I want you to experience what I've experienced. I want you to know the grace and love and fellowship 
that's found in the one true God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to do two things as we close. First, to pray. A prayer of commitment. It's a prayer we've often prayed at Hillcrest. You could pray it every day of your life, and it would be the appropriate kind of prayer to pray. But it's also the kind of prayer you could pray if you're just starting a new spiritual journey with God. And so let me just, I'll read it, and I just ask you all just to say it after me. And, and not just say it, but embrace it as you, do, as you do. And if you're doing this for the first time, especially... Um, Really just, um, it's what's coming from your heart, the reality of your sincerity before God that you desire this. So let's just, let's just go through this together. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I showed you that chart earlier on, and it said, belief in God leads to the practice of worship. We'll have a whole Sunday where we talk about the practice of worship. But let's not wait till that comes. Let's practice it right now. So we've got one song we're going to just sing together. And remember, the belief in the one true God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit leads to worship. And worship is amazing because you pour out to God gratitude and love and thankfulness and and expressions. But really, it's just like the flower opening up to the sun. It's we're receptors of his glory and we get to be on the receiving end of all that he's pouring into our lives, way more than we could ever pour back. So let's take this time to worship him. You know, if you've got a mask on, sing. If you don't have a mask, it doesn't mean you can't worship because singing is not the only way to worship. Just in your own spirit, pray to God. Talk to him. Express your gratitude towards him. If this thing today, this morning, you say, I believe everything you said, Steve, then thank God because that wasn't something of your own doing. God brought you to this place of belief. Pour that out back to him that he's brought you here. And for you, if you, this morning, if something got a little bit stronger in your mind that wasn't there, or stronger in your heart today that wasn't there, thank Him for that. But no matter where you're at, this morning, is, there's always going to be a need to worship the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing for us to be able to engage in that He's, he's given us. So let's take this time and, and let the band lead us this morning as we worship.